This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Graham alerted me to this, and then I looked at my uh, my Twitters, and DeAndre Hopkins has been released by the Arizona Cardinals, and all I could think of is uh, DeAndre Hopkins must be very happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> because he's going to get picked up. I mean, he's probably not the same player he was a few years ago, but he's going to get picked up. He'll get picked up and be in a better situation. So, I mean, he has a chance to be on a playoff team. Get in the right situation, you got a chance to win a Super Bowl. DeAndre Hopkins is still good at the very least. May not be what he used to be, but still very good. I know Clemson could use him right now. We know that. <laughs> Seriously, when was the last time Clemson had a great wide receiver? It's been a while. It's been a minute for the Clemson Tigers. Probably what has held back their offense as much as anything. That and a mediocre, we'll say, offensive line. All right, so Jordan Stahl came out today and said that he wanted to finish his career with the Carolina Hurricanes. He is an unrestricted free agent as of July 1. My guess is it probably doesn't get that far He'll sign some sort of a contract with the Hurricanes. But there are other names to consider. Jesper Faust, what happens? Do they try to get uh, a contract extension for Sebastian Ajo or Seth Jarvis or Jalen Chatfield done now? Luke DeCock of the News and Observer joins us on the Adam Gold Show. Uh, We should be going to a hockey game tonight, Luke, but we're not. Uh, what do you think the biggest reason is for that? Well, I mean, I think some of it is is just you got beat by a team that played better in four games when it mattered. And, and that's, that's hockey, right? Sometimes it's all of sports. Right. Sometimes the better team doesn't always win. And in this case, I think the Panthers made the big plays when it mattered. The Hurricanes didn't capitalize on their big third period in game one. They didn't capitalize on their big first period in game two. You go on the road couple calls go against you. You lose a one nothing game. You lose a game with four seconds on the clock. And that's, that's it. You don't normally lose four of those in a row, but you can lose them. So I don't know that there's a big, what, I don't know, the word is time for, you know, recriminations or anything. It's a, an ugly way to lose because of the way it happened. If you said in a vacuum that they made it to the conference finals without Svechnikov and Pacioretty, you'd probably assume they lost to the Bruins and be okay with that. Um, I think it's the, the opportunity that was there, the path forward that was open to them, that is what really makes this as hard as, as the way they lost. So, I mean, if there's one thing, Adam, I'm going to point to, I mean, obviously they can get incrementally more talented. There's not going to be a lot of opportunities to get dramatically more talented with their cap space and how talented a team it is now. But I think they need to get meaner. I yep. don't necessarily mean tougher, like fighting or even physical play. I just look at in every scrum – a Panthers player was dragging a Hurricanes player out of the scrum by the back of his jersey, and the Hurricanes never did that. And, you know, if you want to be the bunch of jerks, at some point you need some jerks. Uh, To me, the two biggest moments of Game 4 were both engineered by Sam Bennett, and that's the element. That element is what Carolina has not had. Uh, Sam Bennett with the hit on Jacob Slavin and – uh, we all, all hate the result, but, I mean, 
You can't really, if you know the game, you can't really have a problem with the hit. There was helmet to helmet, but the initial point of contact was shoulder to chest. And um, and then he gets his stick in between the pads of Frederick Anderson. And whether or not there was goaltender interference, I did not see any video that supported that. So it is what it is. But Sam Bennett had his fingerprints on this series in many ways. But in the two biggest moments, I thought in game number four, it was Sam Bennett, a mean, ornery, sometimes dirty player. Yeah, and, and you know, I think the one time in the entire playoffs that you saw that from the Hurricanes was Brent Burns' cup check on Kachuk. <laughs> it was just too little, you know, and he got away with it. You know, if they'd been doing that this whole time, you know, Matt Martin plows Jordan Stahl from behind and cross-checks him and sits on him. And, okay, the puck is in play, so you're not necessarily going to go after him right, right away, although you certainly could. But let's give an allowance for the puck being in play. But after the whistle, Jordan Martinuk skates over and gets in Matt Martin's face. Somebody should have just pummeled the guy because you can't, if you're going to let someone do that to your captain, it sends the message, and everybody they played got it, that you could take liberties with these guys. Radko Gudas could cross-check Jack Drury five times against the boards, and if the officials weren't going to call it, nobody was going to stop him. And it's fine to turn the other cheek, and I get that that's a strategy, but at a certain point, you have to acknowledge you're only getting slapped. Yeah, especially when uh, the strategy of turning the other cheek is that you want the power play. If you're not going to get the power play, it's really a poor strategy, uh, even though referees have a tendency to only get the player who retaliates. We've seen that all too many times. Um, you know, it was, it was an interesting f- series, I thought, in terms of the inconsistency of officiating. Brett Pesci gets cross-checked from behind by Anthony Duclair in the corner to the, I guess if you're looking at the goal, to the left of Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, and the puck was gone. It was a little bit late, but not dramatically late. But they allow the cross-check to go. But Jordan Stahl, in the tamest of ways has his stick low, and um, Gustav Forsling trips over it, and they call that with one minute to play. It was callable, so it's hard to complain about it, but it just seemed pretty odd that one was let go and the other wasn't. I'm not trying to say that Carolina got screwed. I just think that there was a lot of inconsistency with officiating. Yeah. No, it was a hanky-pank. It was a a patty cake call after a period in which there had been gross bodily harm. And you let the gross bodily harm go fine because it's the third period of an elimination game. But if you're going to make a ticky-tack call like that, you you know, it's not the wrong call. It just it doesn't go with, you know, Dan O'Rourke called that the first 59 minutes of that period entirely differently than he called the last minute. That just shouldn't happen in a potential elimination game for a team. And honestly, I would have less problem with the stall call if it was behind the Carolina net and took away a Panthers scoring chance. That was 200 feet from the Panthers net. I mean, it's just, it had no impact on the game or the play. And if you're going to manage the game, you have to acknowledge that too. I, you know, I I actually thought the officiating in games one and two was pretty good. Um, I didn't, I thought it was terrible in game three. I think Trevor Hansen and Kelly Sutherland are both going home. I hope. Um, And I thought Wes McCauley and O'Rourke were, were actually okay in game four until that call, because they had called it relatively consistently. You know, the, miss, the, the, the biggest missed call of the, the whole series, if we're going to get into officiating, which I don't think in the end had a huge impact. The Hurricanes got some bad calls on the road, which is why you need to win your home game. Right. 
But the worst call of the series was the uncalled Gudis elbow on Sebastian Ajo right in front of the official. They let that go. Ajo goes down to the other end, gets called for a stick infection. Yeah. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. But that's what happens when you're on the road. And, you know, that's why you fight so hard over 82 games to have home ice advantage. And the Hurricanes had that in this round, and they would have had it in the next round. Um, but they didn't. They Frankly, again, the, first, the third period of game one, yep. the first period of game two, that's where they lost the series. I talked to Greg Wyshynski of ESPN yesterday, and um, he, he insists that it's again, once again, for the fifth straight year, it's about can't get the goal. Can't get – they need more goal scoring. This team, healthy enough, do you think they had it, or do you think there's still, still something more? And I agree, meaner, I think, uh, I think bigger would also help, as well as meaner. I think there's a lot of same, there's a lot of small on this team, even though it's skilled. Uh, do you think, ultimately, though, they had enough if they were healthy? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, think, I don't know that you can look at this Florida series and say they lost because they had some gross deficit in some area. They lost four incredibly close hockey games. Um, that all just happened to come one right after another. To an extent, that's a function of just the small sample size of a best-of-seven series. To me, the question is sort of bigger philosophically. Does the quantity over quality shot volume approach that works so well over an 82-game season work as well in a best-of-seven series? Because in some ways, the way the Hurricanes lost these games to the Panthers resemble the way they lost the four games to the New York Rangers albeit spread out really the three games. Game seven was obviously a gong show, but the three games at the Garden were, were very similar to games three and four, a really hot goaltender, a more physical opposing team, uh, the short end of the officiating in some ways. You know, those are all things that played into this as well. And I think, you know, that's a, a sort of a, a self-scouting thing that you're, you may want to do at some point um, over the offseason and say, hey, you know, this has been our philosophy. This has been our tactic. This has been our strategy. Um, is it working as well as we would hope? And I think, you know, you have to look at the regular season, the fact that they were among the final four teams standing, and say, yeah, on the whole it's working. What do we really need to tweak? And I think when you look at tweaking, I look at what Mackenzie McEckard brought to this team in the games he played. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who didn't appear in a single game, comes in and has an impact in the playoffs. He yep. was physical. He was hitting people on the forecheck. And I think really the obituary for this team that, that we haven't talked about as much, and you and I talked about a little last Friday, the inability of the Hurricanes forwards to work the Panthers' fourth, fifth, and sixth D, who are not good. Radko right. Gudis, Mahura, and Mark Stahl are not great defensemen. They are very, very vulnerable and beatable. Hurricanes never really got to their forecheck against those guys. I think the other self-scouting thing that Rob Brindamore is going to have to ask himself is he does not like bending over backwards to get matchups. Um, is that something he needs to look at? The sending out the fourth line and third pairing for offensive zone faceoffs because they're up over the course of a playoff series can cost you a playoff series because you're not sending out Ajo or even Kokiemi and someone. You know, you need to take advantage of the situations where you have an advantage, especially after an icing. I think the Hurricanes too often just sort of say, well, it's all going to even out in the end. We're going to send the fourth line over the boards. But I think there's little tweaks like that. This team does not need big tweaks. They've got to figure out the goaltending situation and who's in net with Piotr Kachekov next year. That's going to be a big change, obviously. But I think the little tweaks are the things we've talked about. You know, does our strategy need tweaking in terms of the shots we take and the shots we try to create? And do we need to get a little bigger and meaner, even if those players don't present the same sort of possession mm-hmm. and or analytic advantage 
that our skilled players do. This has always been a skill-focused roster, and it's close to getting over the top. I think when you look at what teams that have been close have done to get over the top is they've looked very closely at what their weaknesses are and tried to address them. And to me, getting a little bigger, a little more physical, and a little, quite frankly, meaner. It can be a 5'10 guy if he's mean. I mean, Sam Bennett isn't 6'6". Right. Um, but they need, they need that so their skill can go to work. And that's not fighting. It's not old-school hockey. It's not bringing in the Hanson brothers. It's just bringing in guys who can do to other teams what the Panthers did to the Hurricanes. Luke Tukak is joining us here. We agreed that Jordan Stahl will be back. He will probably finish his career with the Carolina Hurricanes unless somebody comes at him with some, I mean, just bonkers bananas contract. Um, would well, you? I, 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 I just want to say, like, that's fine. But I mean, he's going to have to take a pay cut. Oh, sure. I just, yeah. I, 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 so I don't, I don't want to present this as the given that everyone seems to think it is. There, there is a chance when you start talking about money that things can fall apart. But I think, generally speaking. You are correct in that. Jordan Stahl wants to be here. The Hurricanes want Jordan Stahl here. Can they do this in a way that's going to acknowledge the way his role is going to reduce over the next few years? And can they find a way to manage the captaincy as his role does reduce? Because Hurricanes did not do a good job of that with Rod Brindaborn. He's going to remember that. (laughs) They're going to have to find a way to get that done. I mean, honestly, we didn't talk about that enough. I mean, Paul Maurice is basically the guy who ended Rod Brindamore's career there was a little more heat behind that series yes. than people probably realize or want to talk about. I agree. I agree. The more uh, the more I was uh, I talked about it, the more I realized that there was uh, under the surface there was uh, there were other things. Um, Jesper Faust, you bringing him back? Hundred percent. I yep. mean, now at a reasonable price. Yeah, absolutely. But that's a guy. You know, when you talk about things that this team needs, he may not be the most skilled player in the world, but. He plays well with skilled players. He gets in on the forecheck. He works hard. His teammates love him. You know, I mean, I think, you know, yes for Foss, you, you can win with yes for Foss. Uh, you've just got to make sure you're not, you know, overpaying for him. I think the numbers that uh, one of the uh, prediction yeah. sites had was two and a half, I think, and maybe you go a little higher than that. But if that number works, yes, yes for Foss, a no-brainer. Yeah, Frank Saravelli uh, put out a, a chart of the value for, uh, you know, Jordan Stahl was – Basically at three point two, you could do that. You could do a two years, you know, two years six and a half million for Jordan Stahl. You could do two years, you know, five million for Jesper Faust. Max Pacioretty, he had at one year one point five. I mean, obviously, you would do that if you were the Hurricanes. You you probably can't do much. You you can't do more than one year. uh, But I don't know how much there is a I owe you one. Uh, type of a mentality for Max Pacioretty, but there's a reason they went out and got him. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think they're probably going to go, given the history of Pacioretty and the injuries he's had, I, I think, you know, there, there's some guys that you could see move. You know, we've talked about Teravine and having one year left on your, on his contract. If you know now that you're not going to resign him, now is the time you move him this summer. Um, you know, I still think there's questions after his playoff performance, the goals he scored aside about Martin Natchez and do you want to sell high on him after the regular season he had Jack Drury you know obviously came up and played well in spots um, but looked completely overwhelmed in the playoffs yep. um, our, you know he, his, his failure to keep the puck in led to the Kiemi turnover which led to the third goal um, he lost a ton of board battles during the playoffs yep. and is that a guy that you know you want to sell high on him if you think maybe you know it, it's not going to work for him in the NHL I don't know but I, they have some assets they can move if they want um, and do they try to pull those together and 
you know, there may not be a Matthew Kachuk available, but there may be a guy available via trade instead of free agency who can give you that finishing skill. And that's really what they need. It, the, they don't need to add a ton of skill, but they need to add some finishing. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an attribute. It's a trait. Max Pacioretty has it. Andrei Svechnikov has it, although he's obviously prone to slumps. They need a couple more guys like that who have a demonstrated history of finishing chances. Um, basically the anti-Yessie Pugliarvi, who has a demonstrated <laughs> history of generating a ton of chances, right. finishing almost none of them, which is why I would be shocked if they qualify him. Oh, no, they won't qualify him because it would have to be at $3 million. Uh, right. So there's no, there's no chance of them qualifying him. I guess theoretically they could offer him a contract to come back, and maybe they will, but – um, there was a reason why he was healthy extra for Mackenzie McEckern uh, in the last two games of the Eastern Conference Finals. So if you're getting uh, healthy extra for uh, essentially a guy who played in your minor leagues all year, yeah, that's uh, that. I think that tells us everything we need to hear. Uh, real quick about Martin Natchez before I let you go, Luke. Um, I think the chances of them not having Natchez on the roster are like 1%. He's he's three million dollars next year, and in the regular season, he's gonna sneeze sixty points. And I just think that knowing how we, as an organization, how the Hurricanes as an organization value value, I just don't see a way that un, unless he is part of a contra a trade that brings them something vital, I just don't see a way that Natchez is not on the team. Next year, the following year, maybe. But I think this is the most most important offseason in his entire career. Well, I think the point, the second point you made, for this team to get better with the players they have, it's hard to find better players. You're going to have to give up good players to get those guys. I think, you know, when I look at who they could potentially trade, they're not going to give up Seth Jarvis, who, you know, his scoring numbers were down, but got so much better as a two-way yeah. player. Um, there's other guys you're not going to give up. Natchez is the one guy because he's a wing. He doesn't play center. That didn't work out. You know, if you're going to have to move strength for a bigger strength, I, mean, I think you have to look at Natchez and Drury as, as the guys that are going to be your most likely bargaining chips. It doesn't mean you're trying to move them. Uh, it doesn't mean that you're trying to dump them. But I think you have the opportunity, maybe, given his contract situation, to get the most value for him right now that you're ever going to get. And if that's what it takes to get the guy who puts you over the top, then you have to do it. If he's back here next year, then fine. He's shown he can be a productive player in the regular season, and he'll get another chance to show what he can do it in the postseason because he did show flashes this year. He just disappeared for, for two, two, periods, two long periods of time in the, in the playoffs. So, you know, I, it's not a guy you're trying to get rid of. No. Um, but it, it's, uh, to me, that's the one guy you can move to get better. Okay, you, you can certainly move him, and who knows? Maybe they can bring back a player that used to play here, but I'll leave his name out of it. Luke DeCock of the News and Observer, and maybe we can also send Natchez to Calgary. Uh, again, I'm not uh, necessarily advocating for that, but I would advocate for that. Uh, not about Natchez, but about the player. You know, that who, you know who else would? Yes. Eddie Olchek. <laughs> <laughs> It would put Ron, Ron Francis's fingerprints back on this roster. It, that was the move they made to get over the top, and it had Ron Francis's fingertips, fingerprints all over it. <laughs> uh, we don't need any incentive to mention the great. See how you can't even you didn't even say it right. The great Ronnie Francis. Sorry. You don't even need an incentive for that for Eddie Olchick. Luke DeCock, I'll talk to you later, my man. All right, see you, bud. Take care, Luke DeCock of the NNO here on the Adam Gold Show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early 
so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.